Hey everyone, we're Silver Pilled Podcast. I'm Harrison. And I'm Lowell. And if you want to share an experience with anything paranormal or unexplained, shoot us an email at silverpilled at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, check us out at Instagram at Silver Pilled Podcast. So, when Lowell and I started this podcast, we had a lot of people that we listened to, and specifically people that influenced us. And one of the one of the big people, one of the big influencers that we had for many years, even before the podcast was in our minds, it was someone that we would we would text links to YouTube videos back and forth and talk about everything he talked about. Um, it's just, it's pretty surreal that we can invite this person on our podcast tonight and not only have him on the podcast, but also call him a friend. And that would be uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Dark Waters. What's going on, gentlemen? How y'all feeling tonight? We're doing pretty good, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm maxing and relaxing. I got me a little cigar. I got the last end of a cigar. And uh, I've been chilling. I've been working all day, getting stuff together for Dog Man Weekend, which is going to be epic. What kind of cigars do you smoke? I mean, we're, we're kind of cigar junkies, too. What's your favorite cigar? Uh, my favorite cigar is made at a kind of boutique cigar shop. It's called Cigar Factory New Orleans. They call it the Big Easy. It's a 60 ring gauge, double Maduro uh, cigar. And that's my favorite cigar. Uh, I just don't like going downtown to New Orleans, which is murder. We're the murder capital of America right now. So I don't feel like going down to the murder capital all the way in the heart of it to get a cigar. So I've been smoking um, uh, uh, Alec Bradley's Black Markets. Um, been smoking uh, Gurkha Golds. Uh, every now and then when I just want to throw away a cigar, I get like a Cuban round, like one of those $3 cigars that you know by the time you smoke three or four puffs, it's going to start unraveling. But <laughs> well, for the most part, um, my favorite cigar is that Cigar Factory New Orleans cigar. Very nice, man. Well, I'm I'm definitely that that cheapo cigar guy. I guess I shouldn't have said that we're cigar <laughs> junkies. You, you're probably better than at cigars than I am, Lowell. But no, no. I actually, ever since I got the pipe, dude, I I actually like prefer the pipe over cigars yeah. now. There's a little little cigar <laughs> shop 
here that, that just has some awesome blends. So that's, you know that pipe was just too much maintenance for me, man. Yeah, like I had a pipe full of wells, just way too much maintenance for me. You know what I'm saying? It's like you gotta clean it every five minutes. You got uh, no hell no. Well, I, I can, have the cigar, I, I throw the butt away. I either pack the pipe too tight or I don't pack it tight enough, so I can never get a good burn out of it. That's my yeah. issue. Yeah, that's I I struggle with that too. Still, it's still <laughs> it's it's always one thing or the other. You're you're right. It never has a good burn, but. And you have a corn cob pipe too. That's the easiest pipe to smoke out of. <laughs> I got I got a blend in here in Tennessee now. So yeah, I suppose that's true. So Dark Waters, you said you have Dogman Weekend coming up. Do you, do you care to share anything about that? So every year, I don't think I did it last year, but normally every year I do a weekend full of Dogman stories and interviews. Um, I think it was 2021. I did do it 2021. I just did a bunch of stories. This year I'm doing um, 13 interviews, um, about 12 to 13 stories that I've never told before. We're reviewing footage of kind of some of the things that I've been talking to people about and they, they tell me I'm crazy. Like for example, uh, I've been searching for footage and I found footage where you catch an orb on a ring doorbell. It's an orb of light. That orb rotates, spins, goes across the street and then transforms into what looks like a dog running up the sidewalk on the side of the sidewalk. And um, that was one of the things that I had been telling people for a while that um, when we were running our camera project, we would see orbs of light that would move around and dance back and forth. And then next thing you know, and that same orb turns into something that's huge and they're standing there. But people are like, oh, I don't see that. And I'm like, I've seen it multiple times, you know, just laying in bed watching the camera. So um we're gonna go through dog man eye shine um the looks i'm trying to analyze the the distance between eyeball to eyeball because one of the problems we have in the cryptic community is there's no standardized way of looking at evidence so when a person looks at a photographic piece of evidence there's no way of saying okay you know i'm thinking these eyes are this many pixels apart and, you know, we have a standard piece of evidence that we know is captured, we know it's authentic. Let's base every realized perspective. It will cut down a lot of the junk and arguments and strife because either you have something or you don't. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, yeah. You can't circle a photo of some leaves and say that's dog, man, when you got a clear picture of what it should look like. So, um, and I, that's just what I'm trying to do. That's a good point. I guess they, they always did that with with like sasquatch and bigfoot they really analyzed it but i guess they had clear images of that that's a good point though to try to get some some sort of references for dog man i never thought about that i just always assumed it was real but i just just didn't want to ever run into it yeah that's... one of the problems that, yeah one of the problems we run into when you start talking about evidence gathering is that you see what i'm saying you're gonna pick up a slug and you're gonna get what you need it's just not subjective so you go to a murder scene, the standard yellow tape, standard white sheet over the body. And that's kind of crazy. I'm talking about it. I mean, I grew up in New Orleans, so you see it all the time. Standard cones by where every slug was. There's a way you pick it up. There's a way you store the evidence. And we don't have that in the dog man community. And um, not necessarily saying we have. And what I mean by that is when you're looking at photographic evidence, there's no standardized way of. Uh, taking a look at it and seeing if it's true or not true. It's just by people's whims. Oh, I see a bunch of leaves. That's dog land. 
and no, because we have clear evidence of what it should look like. And if you have clear evidence, then there, it shouldn't be these discussions about pareidolia and all the rest of this when you have accurate, clear evidence. That is a good point. Can you, I don't, I don't know anything about computers, so excuse my ignorance, but I know there's lots of different size of dogmen reported out there. And is that, I mean, can you, would you be able to measure and tell? Because in my mind, they seem to be different, almost like a different breed, each each size. So would you, geez, I'm, he's starstruck. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. I'm trying to form a question. It's not. I got your question. So based on the different breeds that are out there, well, how could you accurately um, do a size measurement? Yes. We only can work with what we have, right? So only the accurate evidence that we have that we know that it exists that's verifiably dog man. That's the only only thing we can use. So it's only about three or four great photos of dog man, which we know is they're universal. For example, the photo out of Fort Pierce, Florida with blue, um, with the dog man standing in a tree and standing by the tree where you can see his eye, you can see his ear, you can see his snout, you can see his other ear. We know that photo has been vetted because it's been on two major network television channels, right? I know that they paid a significant amount of money for the rights to use that photo. So when we start talking about photo that's been vetted, that one has been thoroughly vetted. Um, And so if you're looking to standardize something based on, um, you know, standardize a uh, eye with um, a distance between eyes, that would be a great place to start. Therefore, when we see eye shine out in the woods or a photo of eye shine, we can at least have some place to start. Now, that it kind of varies based on the distance from the camera and all the rest of these things, right? Because uh, if you're going to do a measurement, there's a whole bunch that plays into it. But nonetheless, it's just starting the process of having people thinking in the manner in which, okay, we need to standardize some things. Because since I've been in this community, it's been like the wild, wild west. Oh, that's this. No, that's not, that's not dog, man. That's a werewolf. That's not a werewolf. That's a genetically modified this. That's a hyena, man. Like, what the hell? Show me a picture of a hyena, man. And we can talk about hyena, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't show me. You can show me an artistic rendering. And I'm fine with that. And you can give me an eyewitness testimony. And I'm cool with that. But, all right, when we start looking at evidence, that's a whole nother like photographic evidence and video evidence, that's a whole nother ball of wax and it has to be treated differently. You know, you have to remove the subjectivity out of it and start really chunking down and figuring out what's going on. Okay, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. That's, it's, when I watched that that Force, Fort Pierce video, that that was insane. Like, that was, <laughs> that was really crazy just to see that thing and the how big it was. It's hard to, picture in your head when you hear hear a story or hear somebody relate a story it's really hard to grasp the size and the sheer i don't know vastness of how big they are well it's hard to you hear the stories all the time it was seven eight foot tall but you don't think about how tall that is until you compare yourself to something right right it's really hard to figure out in your head what eight foot tall looks like to me, eight foot tall doesn't seem that big until I step back and really look at it and thinking, man, eight foot tall is a massive, massive being, right? Anything, anything eight foot tall is huge. Right. But when you hear eyewitness testimony or people say that's how tall they are in the pictures, you don't really have a good understanding of it. It's extremely hard for people to get the grasp of, 
um, of what we're talking about, size and weight, it's extremely hard for the average person to even um, conceptualize in their mind something like that. Uh, that's why um, in the stories that I share, I, I try and insert things that make it possible for a person to understand. So I'll say something like, you know, it was a Shaquille O'Neal, because you can visualize how tall Shaquille O'Neal is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, but if you tell somebody, hey, it was, you know, seven feet and eight inches, they're like, all right, I can't visualize that. But you can visualize how tall Yao Ming was or how tall Shaquille O'Neal was. You can easily see that and then get the scope and mass of it in your mind. Um, and that's what I try to do for people. When I, when I talk to people about the stories that I tell, and I say sometimes I inject things into the stories, the liberty that I take is the liberty to make you be able to visualize the encounter, not taking liberty as to what happened with the encounter. And that's why when people listen to the content, they say, man, I can really visualize what you're saying. It's like the best content ever. Yeah, because I know how the human mind works. I know that we can only relate to things that we've all seen. If you've never seen it, there's no way to relate to it. And that's why when you listen to other Dollar Man content, it's dry and it's dead because they haven't figured out how to relate that information into the human mind and how the human mind works. And, um, and that's why the content is so fantastic. I've been accused of, oh, you made that up. It sounds too good. No, it's the true story. The thing that's changed is how you relate it in your mind. Guy told me it was seven feet, seven, five, seven, between seven feet and five, and five to eight inches. Okay, I can say, yeah, this this dog man was seven feet five inches, or I can say, yo, the thing was as tall as Shaquille O'Neal, scared the hell out of it. It's still the same thing, it's just a different description that allows your brain to see it. That that comes down to what we've been talking about: that perception is everything. So Lovell mentioned a story. I don't know if I'd heard it yet about a dog man coming through a portal. What did you say, Lovell? With well, you, you mentioned it on on the Bump podcast um... with Bo, yeah. Yeah, shout out Bump oh. Podcast, man. Great content there. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Sorry, good. Um, now Mo's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. I like I love that podcast. That's one of one of the tops that I have that I listen to. Um, but you mentioned you had the I know you have the the three lanes that Dogman is, but then on Bump, you mentioned that the fourth lane would be Dogman coming through portals. And it, I just found that really interesting because I'm kind of looking into some portal stuff right now. So I just didn't know if you could elaborate on any of that or if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't have a problem elaborating on it. So um, somebody was trying to get me to go into that late last night. Josh Turner was wanted to, at the end of our interview last night, he wanted to talk about portals. And my brain was like, no, I don't feel like like doing that deep dive and explaining it. So the uh, the concepts of portals have been around for a long time. And a portal is nothing more than a specific place where, um, where you can interactions happen across the veil and dimension. So, for example, um, biblically, when um, oh my goodness, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when Jacob fell asleep in the desert and laid his head on a rock and had a dream and I, and I had a vision, not a dream, a vision of the ladder with angels ascending and descending up and down from that ladder. What was he looking at? He was looking into a portal where those angels were ascending and descending and crossing in reality and coming into our reality um, based on that location. That location was an altar, and that's where the portal was. Um, when Jesus um, ascended into heaven, 
If you go read the scripture very, very closely, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to a very specific place, and then he ascended into heaven. Um, I don't think people really understand that the concept, these concepts have been around for a long time. Um, and they talk about them as if they are like this new fascinating thing. Um, like, yeah, you know, they're, they come, they're interdimensional and they come from portals. Like, not nah, no shit, bro. Common sense. You know, it, it's an, it's an element of it. Um, I was talking to uh, Deborah Hatswell today on an interview and we were talking about, she asked me, she said, well, James, what do you think about, you know, graveyards and burial mounds as it pertains to dogmen? And she said, well, a lot of people say that certain burial mounds are portal places where there are portals. I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, I can see that being a location where there is a portal. Um, but specifically, when you start talking about dogman and their migratory patterns, if you put yourself in a mindset of a being, it's hard for people to do this, but put yourself in a mindset of an intelligent being with heightened senses that's been around for, let's say, a thousand years, right, or more. And the landscape changes, the trees are different, but you have a heightened sense of smell and you know certain things are there. What's the one thing that will remain consistent? The one thing that's always been consistent on this planet is death, right? Mm. So people are always dying. So you can go back thousands of years, people have been dying. That's what they do. So if you're taking a migratory path and you want to make sure you stay on track, um, I call those landmarks and portals, the, the, you know, those locations, whether it be a graveyard, an old Native American graveyard, or a uh, Native American burial mound, which is where those portals are. Um, I just call them waypoints for them. They can be a spiritual waypoint where there's a portal there and then crossed back and forth through dimensions because there's clearly legends uh, in, the, in the Indian uh, annals and tribes uh, history of giants coming through portals, period, hands down. We have CERN, which has been built, the hydrogen hydrogen collider, which has been built to open portals. Um, you have the Tower of Babel in the Bible, which um, sounds the hell like to me, they was trying to build something that would create a portal because they said they wanted to kill God and get up there and fight with God. So it's, it's all over the place, you know? Um, so it's not a far stretch to think that they would come through a portal if we're talking about an interdimensional being. The way I think people are missing it when it comes to this topic altogether is we get caught up in, you know, physical, flesh and blood, demonic, interdimensional, um, trying to figure out these different roads. But when you put yourself in the eyewitnesses point of view, like I'm an eyewitness that had an encounter, bro, those people don't care where it came from. They honestly don't care. That's all after the fact stuff. Um, kind of fan stuff, like dogman fan fanatic stuff. The person who had the encounter doesn't give a damn. They're saying, hey, look, man, it was an eight-foot-tall walking wolf that came out from behind a tree, and it scared the hell out of me. What am I supposed to do? They don't say, well, hey, James, do you think it came from a portal, or do you think it was a, a demon? Uh, they're like, I mean, what do I do? You know, those are the phone calls I get. Um, and so part of the narratives that are created by crowds of people are to find a way for those people to have validity in the topic or in the field of dogman. 
So if you haven't had an encounter, if you don't do any real research, if you're not talking to witnesses, how do you make a name for yourself and carve a niche out for yourself, right? You argue about these little bitty points because that's how you make a name for yourself. You're not really doing any research. You're not taking wind temperature. You're not out in the field. You're not taking, you know, moon location and degrees and angles. Um, you're not doing any of that. Um, you're not really talking to witnesses, right? What those people are doing that kind of really dig into this aspect of it and argue about that aspect of, you know, the different lanes, they're trying to carve out a niche for themselves so they can have, okay, this is what I say it is. And so now they can push that narrative. Um, but oftentimes those people aren't bold enough to actually turn on a microphone and push that narrative. They push it behind the scenes, if that makes sense to you guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like dog band such a hot topic anymore, too. Yeah. It seems to be like on the, you know, just at the edge of everyone's lips anymore. You know, Sasquatch is pretty much back burner. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, especially since like, I feel like the since the government kind of issued the whole disclosure of the UFOs and all that stuff, that's been on the back burner, too. No one really cares. No one looks at that. But now it seems like forefront is dog man. Which, I mean, to be honest with you, five years ago, I probably had never heard of it. Well, no, no I agree with you. It's, I wouldn't say five, maybe 10. 10 years ago, I probably had never heard of it. It's become wildly popular, man. It has become wildly popular. And I tell people there's a couple of reasons why. There, there definitely are more sightings due to the technology. Um, there are definitely more people out in the woods actually looking for them. Um, but also... When I first started talking about dog man, it wasn't the, it wasn't so easily monetized, right? So, um, I talked about dog man, and I didn't get a whole bunch of views. If you go back and look, it took years for all those views to hit my channel on dog man. But Bigfoot was the, you know, the, the crowned king of cryptids. Well, what ended up happening is, as the Dogman community kind of grew and they became extremely fanatic about consuming Dogman content. Um, then the branding and name recognition took off for Dogman. Like whoever, if somebody would have just, you know, uh, copywritten the, the name Dogman, they would be making all kind of money, but they didn't. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, the branding took off because it, it spun over into, you know, the creepypasta realm. It spun over mm -hmm. into like cryptid storytelling, um, cryptid creepypasta realms. Um, and next thing you know, you had Dogman t-shirts, Dogman mugs, Dogman this, Dogman that. Because it was just a train that people were jumping on, kind of a bandwagon. Where it, where it starts to go wrong is, um, even now I see videos that come out where people are taking bits and pieces of my research, bits and pieces of Vic Kunda's research, bits and pieces of things that Josh Turner has done and they combine them together and they'll turn them into a creepypasta story, mm -hmm. but they'll use imagery that will make you believe that it's real. So the thumbnail makes you believe, oh, this was a park ranger who really saw this, but no, that's, it's not real. And anybody who actually understands it, when you listen to it, you listen to the story, you're like, nah, none of that makes sense. That's not how that works. And none of it adds up whatsoever. And so you get, um, it's at this point where it's so easily monetized um, that, you know, people are going to try and exploit the topic. Linda Godfrey and I talked about that. Um, this is right before she started really getting sick. She was like, you know, I hope poor dog, man, the, you know, topic survives what's coming down the pipeline. I was like, yeah, 
I said, it's being ran through the ringer monetization-wise. She's like, yeah. She's like, it's everywhere. She's like, it's totally ridiculous. It's everywhere. I'm like, I know. Um, so those are things that the average listener of Dogman content, they don't really, they don't really get it because they just, they want to consume it. The real question is why people want to consume the content in that manner. You know, why are people so fanatic about that content? Why are people so fanatic about cryptids in general? The, the segment of the pop world population that's into it, a huge segment of that portion of people tend to be very fanatic. And that's been my question over the years as I've seen it. Like, why would people behave that way? Well, why do people watch like really terrible murder movies, right? Horror movies that, why, why, do, why do people seek that kind of fear anymore? I think it's more so like a rush, almost like an adrenaline rush. But I wonder if with that in mind, does all this intent on Dogman make it more powerful, like a tulpa? No, I don't think so. I think, I think it is what it is. Um, I think that what ends up happening is everything has a spiritual, um, everything has a spirit, right? Um, and I think what ends up happening is when people come so far in agreement with the concept of dog, man, because think about the process of, that you go through, the process of revelation uh, when it comes to this, right? You... You see something about Dogman, and you're like, I don't think that's real, right? Then okay. you consume more and more content, and then you start to have faith in the fact that it's real. Um, you really, the only way you have faith in anything is by listening. You know, faith comes through hearing is what the Bible says, and it makes perfect sense. Um, so if you listen to something long enough, you start to build faith in whatever it is. You know, that's how you know, take a guy who, who has trouble with women. And he says, you know, I want to go out and I want to date women. And I want to be a player. You know what I'm saying? What does he do? He goes and he starts reading and listening to videos on YouTube about how to hit on women. And then he starts to get more confident. And then he has faith in himself that he can hit on women. Actually, you know, he's out there hitting on women, right? Okay. So they go through that process. People go through that process of, nah, I don't believe it's real. Then they go through this process of building up faith in the subject and belief in the subject. Now they believe in it. Then most people stop there. They say, okay. Dogman is real. I believe in it. I've seen enough evidence. I'm done with it. But then there's a segment of the population that continues to go further and further. Uh, faith in something is a spiritual element to have faith in something, right? Sure. Um, and so they go further. They go from just having faith and believing that it's real. They go into arguing points like we were talking about, whether it's flesh and blood, whether it's spiritual, whether it's demonic, whether it comes through portals, whether they're aliens. And for a person who's in the business of um, cryptids, because it is a business, for a person who's in that business, it makes perfect sense, right? There's a monetary gain for them to spend their time thinking about it and solving that problem because they're trying to bring value to a marketplace where they can extract value based on their knowledge and their understanding. But for a person who's just an everyday Facebooker, uh, YouTube fan, when they get to the point to where now they're and I've seen them when they get to the point where they're defending like, yeah, you know, the, the saves are like this. And, you know, the saves are you're confusing dog man with a save and the save will do this and the save are spiritual beings. And and they're just rampantly arguing. I think you've, they've gone too far and they move beyond just belief into worshiping and taking on a spirit that they have with them that's associated with it. 
And that's why they behave so frantically. And I think back on when I first came into the industry, like all the the strife and drama that I had with people, where it was these massive groups of people that would come at me and their whole goal was to intimidate. No different than what a dog man does when you encounter it in the woods. It intimidates people. Their whole entire thing was, we're going to intimidate him. We're going to scare him. We're going to run him out. They just didn't realize, no, I'm from New Orleans. Like, for real, for real. Like, <laughs> and that don't work on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm born and raised in a place where, you know, you, you match whatever energy comes your way. That's the only way you survive is if you match that energy. So, um, but for other people, I watch people come into the field and they get intimidated and then they ran out. And, I'm, and it's no different than what happens with the encounter in the woods. Guy goes into the woods, he has an encounter with the dog man, he's intimidating, he's ran out of that space. And it's like those people wanna dominate the space. And so that's why I, I drew the conclusion that they've taken on that same spirit. Now, how would I describe the spirit of dog man? It would definitely be uh, a spirit that provokes fear. It would definitely be um, enmity and anger. Um, and so there'll be people who say that this is not, they've had good dog men encounters. Like I've had encounters with these things where they were nice, but those are few and far in between. You, the typical dog man encounter is, you know, you have a sighting riding down the road, you see one. Um, you look out your window, you see one, that's a sighting. And then you go into the encounters where um, typically that person's alone or they're with one other person. They're off in a wilderness somewhere, it's secluded. They see this thing and they retreat and they have to run and they're in the fear of their life, period. Whether it attacks them or not, the same thing happens. They go through that same process of fear. Many of those people have PTSD. Uh, many of those people try and block it out of their minds. And many of the people I talk to, they'll call and say, hey, I was listening to your story and it reminded me of something that I saw when I was 12 years old and I think I blocked it out of my mind. Can I talk to you about it? I mean, that's PTSD. So um, there's a spirit behind this and I've said it publicly a lot. And I saw when I started talking about it publicly, the behavior start changing because I think it was kind of like shaking a tree saying, hey guys, I think y'all need to pay attention to your behavior and, why, and question yourself, why are you behaving like a lunatic over something that the majority of the world population would think you, we all are crazy for believing in. So it's like you are a sub-majority of a sub-majority of a sub-majority of a sub-majority. And then if everybody else looking down that ladder looks at you, they're like, hey, hey, bro, you see these crazy people over here talking about werewolves? What the hell is wrong with them? But, you know, people have gotten to the point to where they're threatening other people's lives over it. And it just, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up whatsoever. Um, I was just kind of curious on your thoughts in between the differences between Dogman and Bigfoot. Um, I mean, they're both they're both cryptids, but one Bigfoot seems to be more reclusive for the most part. I know there are attacks, there are um, charges, and it, it has been gets angry, but it doesn't. It, the majority of the time, it doesn't seem to try and strike fear into people. It just mainly wants to be left alone. Well, I guess um, versus versus a dog man who who just seems to enjoy that terror no i would agree with you so when you look at bigfoot encounters that have come my way and i'm only speaking on my the encounters that i've vetted not on other people's encounters because it's hard to speak for a person's encounter that i've never spoken to that person so i'm talking from the perspective of the people i've spoken to 
yeah, there's definitely a, a juxtaposition between behavior patterns with Dogman and Bigfoot. Clearly a juxtaposition. For example, um, in the case of Bigfoot, it's these herding techniques are used to move people out of the area. And you hear some grunting and you some tree shaking and all of that. But once that person's out of their area, if they haven't done, if the the witness hasn't done anything too crazy, it's over. It's just a done deal. Well, well, you take dog man and you take like my friend Connor in Kentucky. Connor and his dog go out. The dog pees on a tree. Connor pees on a tree. They don't even see dog man. The next day they go out. Um, he's set up to shoot a deer down in the hollow. He hears a deer tearing through the bottom of the hollow. It goes up the side of the ridge. He sees this giant thing chasing it up the side of the ridge. He was going to take a shot. And he said, nah, I'm not going to take a shot. But a couple of days later, it follows him home. Now, he didn't do anything outside of pee on a tree, which I told him I think that was the problem. But he didn't do anything aggressive whatsoever. Um, and it followed him home. And it followed and it was around his house for months. And they still transgress his property to this day. You know, his new dog won't go outside at certain times because they're out there. So um, it's one of those things to where there's definitely a difference in behaviors. Um, when you start talking about uh, Bigfoot, um, Bigfoot makes their own altars where they'll stack up these rocks and investigators who don't understand what they're doing say, well, I'll go out and I'll give it some apples on that rock, right? In that little area of these neat stack of rocks that they put out there. But you're, you're literally went and took your money, bought apples, made a sacrifice, and you're bringing it onto an altar to encrypt it. And so it accepts that offering. And then guess what? When you stop giving it that offering, it gets angry and beats on your house and acts a damn fool, right? Um, in the case of Dogman, I've never heard of any altar. Because I don't think what it wants is uh, a sacrifice in that way. I think it wants to provoke that fear in you and to dominate you um, and let you know it's boss. So when you show fear, you're giving it what it wants and what it needs. So yeah, there's there's definitely a huge difference in um, in what goes on with the two of them. Well, that's kind of always been my thought with these people who who are gifting Bigfoot or even set up the Bigfoot gardens. It's almost as if they're giving a sacrifice to this creature to get a certain behavior. You're giving a sacrifice for it to behave a certain way, and you're treating it like a god. I mean, I just don't beat around yeah. the bush with it, guys. So um, in a church, people <laughs> give tithes because there's tithes and offerings and there's an expectation made on that based on that tithe and offering, right? There's a promise. If you bring your tithes into my storehouse and then these things will happen, all nations will call you blessed. Um, and there's, there's promises based on that. They're treating these things like they're a god. Now, they may not understand it. They may not because, you know, I, don't, I really don't believe that it's ever been phrased to people that way. They've all, it's just been, think about the words that they use, like habituation, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it, habituation. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things to create a habit where they're gonna behave a certain way. Yeah, you're treating it like it's a God, you're giving it a sacrifice. <clears throat> then you wonder why it gets emboldened and takes your chickens and your cows and next thing you know, it might try and snatch your daughter because that's what you're doing. And, but because it, it, it's monetized in a manner in which um, in which the narrative needs to be protected so that people can monetize it, nobody really says it. That's the same thing with Faye behavior, too. Everyone says, well, just, just leave it something, and it'll leave you alone. Just Oh, yeah. 
you know, leave it a bowl of milk or give it this or that or the other, and, and then they'll leave you alone. It's the same basic idea. And it seems to be kind of universal in this whole aspect of cryptid type things where we'll give it something and it'll leave you alone or like build an altar towards it. And I think the Bible yeah, is absolutely. pretty clear about warning, you know, don't build altars towards anything but God, but Yahweh. Bro, I've been I've been to um <clears throat> for example, Bloody Mary's voodoo house down here. I'll never forget. The first time I came, I went to a voodoo house. Um when you come in, it's a shop, it's a store. And then when you go in the back where they do to go to the other side of the building where they do ghost hunts, you gotta go down this hallway and there's a huge altar to Mama New, which is the river goddess. And there's dollars up there, there's photographs of all the celebrities that gave offerings to Mama New and all the rest of this. And so I remember walking by and I remember Mary saying, well, you, do you have an offering to give the mama new? I said, no, I don't, I don't know no mama new. I don't have nothing to give to her. And I kept on walking. Right. And, um, the next time I came back, she was like, they had like a, it was a girl's date with a whole bunch of like voodoo, um, female voodoo practitioners. They was doing each other's hairs and nails. And they was like, why don't you come over and tell us some stories and, uh, and hang out with us. I came over. Um, and sure enough, the girl that opened the door, she says, um, well, everybody who passes here has to give a, a sacrifice or offering to Mama New. I said, I don't have to give nothing. I said, I don't rock with Mama New like that. I said, I'm going over here and talk to these ladies. And I hung out with them for like 10 minutes, told them a story. I was like, look, I'm about to go get me something to eat down here in the French quarters and I'm going to roll out. But, um, that's an altar to a spirit that wants a sacrifice and that sacrifice. I mean, you're sacrificing to that spirit. So I'm not really interested. I don't rock like that, but people do it all the time. If you ever go there, you will see dollar bills that look like they're 10 years old. You'll see little rings and beads and trinkets and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and people don't understand that aspect of it. Yeah, if you make a sacrifice to something, you're going to get something back. That's just how it works. That's that's spiritual law. But at the end of the day, I, I don't. that's not how I roll. You know what I'm saying? So... I think if people are made aware of what their decision is, then they have an opportunity to make a different decision. But if they're not aware of what they're doing, then they just do what they think is best. And that's how it affects their lives. So they're just doing what they think works, but they're not, they're ignorant to what they're doing. Well, kind of just something that popped in my mind, it kind of goes all the way back to even like wishing wells. I mean, how innocent is a wishing well? But if you walk up to a place and ask for something and throw money into it what are you what are you really asking for what are you what are you what's granting your wish mm -hmm. well it's like wishing about a star too that's what's called deception and that's that's where deception is i forgot i think i was talking to one of you guys and i told you guys i said man you know the the cryptid and paranormal space is one of the most treacherous spiritually treacherous spaces to enter into because if you don't understand what goes on um especially for a christian you are walking in seriously dark waters and it's treacherous with snares and traps everywhere that will get you in all kinds of trouble if you don't understand what's going on if you understand what's going on and you've been authorized to be in that space and you understand what associations mean what coming into agreement with people mean we're coming into agreement with certain things and topic topics means um then you'll be fine but if you don't have a basis of stuff oh bro you you got problems on your hand you got huge problems on your hand 
So what if I, when you talked about like Dogman and Bigfoot both following you home and the idea of like that kind of de- if it is demonic, we'll just pretend that it, that some of it is. I mean, I could I could agree that some of it is. What is your advice to kind of get rid of that? I mean, if if something follows you home, whether it be Dogman, Bigfoot, Fay, I I don't know the the hitchhiker. What what would your advice be to kind of get rid of that? Um. Just depends on it depends on the person I'm talking to. That everyone that I privately counsel about spiritual issues, I start with them understanding um, dominion and legal agreements that people come into with spirits and entities. So, for example, um, let's take the spirit of anger. No, let's just take the spirit of alcoholism and drunkism. And if there's a, there's a God that's a Mardi Gras God that's so Bacchus is a Mardi Gras God, Mardi Gras God that's associated with that, the God of the, the of drinking and celebration. So um, everybody's known a man who was a drunkard, right? They, they've been, they had a drinking problem. Everybody knows someone who's had a drinking problem. But if you trace it back to the beginning of where that problem came from, uh, at some point in time, you know, they had one drink. And then the next time they had another drink. And when they went to get that drink, there was a specific reason why they had that drink. So most of the times they had a bad day at work and they decided, hey, I'm going to get this drink so I can I can have some peace and they could calm me down. Right. So they traded God's peace, which is promised from him in exchange for peace from alcohol. That was the exchange they made. God promises us peace and joy, the fruits of the spirit. Well, you decided, no, I'm not going to take your peace and your rest and you're and, and you removing the fear and anxiety. I'm going to depend on this alcohol to do it. So they made that exchange the first time. So then they run up across another situation that's stressful and taxing and they make another exchange. I, I don't want God's peace and rest. I want this alcohol. This is going to make me relax. It's going to make me calm down. It's going to remove the stress. That's a quick well, at fix, some point right? Time, well, it's a quick fix. But what happens at some point in time is um, the spirit that that you are, the spirit that's attracted to an alcoholic, he becomes attracted to you because you have a habit of alcoholism uh, and drinking. And so now that person gets to the point to where they can't stop drinking. They don't really care to drink. They don't want to drink, but they find themselves leaving the house at the middle of the night to have a drink. And it's like, yeah, man, I, I gotta have a drink. It goes from I just needed something to knock off the edge after work. I just needed something to watch while I was watching a football game to, no, 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 now I got to have a drink every morning. And then their life gets destroyed because there's other things that come in partnership with that. You're a drunkard, your finances crash, or you become angry and abusive and you mistreat your children, are you irresponsible? All these other things start to fall in line with that one thing that opened the door. And they have legal basis based on your behavior pattern to follow you all around and dictate your life and dictate your world. Same thing when you start dealing with cryptids and um, what happens to most people who have the demonic aspect of cryptid encounters is they come into agreement with it. They'll have a dogman statue in their house. They'll have photos and drawings of dogmen in their house. There's no reason to have that crap. I've been in the business all this time. I don't have one drawing of a dogman in my house. I have a comic book, but I don't have a drawing on the wall like it's a family member. You see, but there's people who do that. And so what happens is 
they come into agreement with the spirit that is dog man or whatever it is that empowers it. And next thing you know, they start having these manifestations around the house. Same thing with Bigfoot. Um, same thing with the rest of it. There's other occasions where people just have them on their property and they have this poltergeist activity. That's something completely different. But nonetheless, I tell people not I kind of laid the foundation as to how they legally get to be in your world and around your life. I tell people um, what you have to understand is if you're a Christian, then what you've committed is adultery. I mean, idol, you, uh, not adultery. Uh, you've created an idol. And so that becomes your God. In the case of the alcoholic, right, who needed help and he's stressed out, he turns to alcohol. That's his God. That's what, that's what gives him his rest, gives him his peace, gives him everything is that alcohol. That's your God. Um, in some cases, there are men who um, they turn women into God. There's one woman, we've all met a guy who is head over heels for this one chick, and it just don't make no sense. It's like, yo, why are you going crazy over this broad? She's not that cute, right? Well, she's become his guy. And so now he's turned over to that, and you see that same guy doing the most crazy, ridiculous things. You know, man, I, you know, I bought her a car and put it in my name, but she's sleeping around with all these other dudes, and it's the same concept, right? Um, so I tell people, the only thing you can do is, and well, I, it's, there may be other things you can do. This is what I advise people to do. I tell people they need to go and repent of that sin of making whatever it is a God in their life and then uh, fall out of agreement with whatever that idol is. So if it's pornography, man, I repent of the sin of, of, of pornography and making it so important in my life and I don't want to watch this anymore. God, I don't want to look at it anymore. And then they go through the process of coming out of it, being delivered away from it. And there's been people in the Dogman community who've been through this when it pertains to Dogman, like show hosts. There's been a plethora of listeners who I've talked to who've been through this process, and they all come out of it. And some of them never listen again. Others are like, yeah, I can listen, but, you know, it's, I don't take it as serious anymore. And that's, where, that's how I advise people to deal with it. Now, that's from a Christian perspective. If you have another, I'm not worried about that. If that's if you got another belief system, then you need to go research in your belief system how to figure it out. I can't speak for that belief system. You know what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. All I know is the function, how minds functions, and that it works. It works extremely well. You know. Well, it always seems like the name of Jesus can, even with an atheist, can stop, can stop a Sasquatch in, invasion or lack of a better word, invasion or dogman encounters, or even, you know, extraterrestrial type activity. It seems like the name of Jesus really holds, across the boards, holds some sort of seniority over everything. Oh, no doubt about that. Um, there are highly, I mean, super high practicing witches and wallets that I know. I mean, they're on magazines as like the top, one of the top 100 witches in America. And we sit down and talk to them. And you go back and forth with them about, you know, um, real deep concepts of, I mean, super hardcore rituals of summoning angels. Forgot the name of the ritual, but I mean, rituals to summon angels um, before you get in, summon an angel to your presence. And they have to go through a ritual for them to summon an angel. Us as Christians, we don't, we can ask God to send us angels because, you know, angels have charge over us. But they want to summon an angel because angels have knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we don't have, and they could question an angel and trap them in a spot and then ask them questions, then let them go. 
But when they go through that process, it's like a 30, 40 day process where they can't leave out of whatever space they're in. You got to pee, poo, do everything in that space. Um, but everything else comes before that angel gets there. That's how powerful that work is that they're doing. And so what ends up happening is there will be things that come that are so demonic that when it's time for them to get rid of it, don't they know. And these are high practicing witches. They know the only thing that gets rid of it is the name Jesus Christ. And even that high practicing witch, and this is what people don't understand, that high practicing witch, God does not like witchcraft. This, you know, witchcraft, the spirit of rebellion in the Bible says the spirit of rebellion is witchcraft. He doesn't like witchcraft, but his name, because it's law, it's cosmic law, his name still works. It's no different than a hoodoo or a voodoo, I mean, a hoodoo practitioner who um, opens Psalms 23 because they want their household to be um, peaceful. And they do a hoodoo floor wash where they, um, they read Psalms 23 over a, you know, a bucket with some cleaning supplies, some water and um, a mixture, right? And then they mop their floor around their house with that because they want to bring peace into their household. They know that God's word is alive. And they know that Psalms 23 is all about peace and um, protection. And so they know that those words are on that page are a lot. It's unfortunate um, when it comes to spiritual things, there are people that are in the kingdom of darkness that have extreme spiritual knowledge of how it works. And then there's people who are in the kingdom of light that have knowledge of how it works. And then everybody in between, for the most part, is kind of on the fence. They're kind of like, uh, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe in the devil. You know, I, it's how could you attribute, you know, all the evil in the world to one fallen angel. How can you, can you attribute, you know, the the whole entire universe? It was only created by one God, and this they're on the fence because they they haven't had encounters with anything. And that's why I tell people, you see, these in this segment of the community that has encounters with ghosts and black eyed kids and poltergeists and dog man and Bigfoot, people really, really don't understand the significance of it because they're so boggled down into what they encounter. What the real significance of it is, you're having an encounter where it's gonna steer you in a direction. And I'll give you a perfect example. Out of Oklahoma, we were helping these kids that were having the Stegini on their property. The Stegini are these little short, hairy, um, shadowy things with black eyes. Like imagine, um, a Wookiee or Ewok with completely black eyes, right? And sometimes in the daytime you see them furry, but they, the Stegini are like old Native American spirits um, right. that they right. worship. Write that one down, um, Noel. <laughs> I think you guys talked about them. You guys, when we interviewed, you guys talked about them being on the shields and swords. Up yeah, in like, yeah, that was uh, the Albatwitch. It's a different name, but kind of the same creature. It's a different name, but it's the same creature, right? So, right. But did listen to what happened. And this is what I mean by the spiritual choice. So guy comes in to um, a store where one of my, one of my, the guys who works with me is working at, he comes in asking for sage. He says, well, man, you know, I need sage. And he's like, well, why do you need sage? He said, because man, we got some negative stuff going on at the house and we're gonna cleanse the house with sage. And he's like, well, you know, sage ain't gonna do nothing but make it worse. And the guy's like, no, it's not, we use sage all the time. He says, well, how has the activity ramped up or went down based on the sage? And he's like, well, every time we burn sage, you know, it'll go away for like, you know, two weeks and then it comes back and sometimes it's worse than it was before. He says, exactly, because sage ain't gonna work. And so he says, well, look, 
you know, I'll come out there and pray for you guys, and I'll pray over the place. They start to the hemming and hawing, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Then they called my guy in the middle of the night at 12 o'clock at night, frantic, going crazy, because they were all sitting at the table, kind of having, like, little drinks and eating little snacks, and the knives flew off the wall. And literally, you know how you have the little magnet that hangs the knives on the wall? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The knives flew off the wall and and changed trajectory and then went down into the middle of the table, two knives right in front of them. And so then it was like, okay, I guess fat meat is greasy, so let me call this guy and figure out what we can do to get help. And so it's an encounter. The encounter itself really is a blessing because it means that your life is so far out of balance, your scales in heaven are so far out of balance, that you're getting a very, very unique opportunity to make a choice. Um, an opportunity that most people don't get. That's why, you know, when you talk to the average person, they'll say, well, I never, I never experienced anything paranormal. Well, that's not real. If you're in this field, you've been attracted to it because you've been given a unique opportunity to make a spiritual decision as to what road you're going to travel. You can't stay on the fence when you've seen a dog man. You can't stay on the fence when you've seen a shadow person in your bedroom. You just don't. You know, it's something more out there, right? Um, and so people get led in one direction and down these kind of rabbit holes and, and all these different directions. But it's really a unique opportunity. And most people don't understand the opportunity. Even the people in the field who, um, who create content don't even understand the opportunity that's laid in front of the audience that's listening to them. Um, because they're focused on the entity, dog man, Bigfoot, black eyed kids, dinosaurs, I don't give a damn what it is. They focus on that entity instead of that person. You see what I'm saying? Am I yeah, making sense to you yeah. That or they're focused on the entity and not even the truth behind it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's still even if if dog man's not mentioned in the Bible, doesn't mean that there's some there's no truth behind it in the Bible. But I guess that's speaking from a, a Christian standpoint, not so much like a, a paranormal podcast with an atheist standpoint so that might be a little bit easier no, to me i speak from the standpoint of what i know and what i know is the bible talks about fallen angels corrupting everything on this planet and that's all it is to it and they corrupted everything and modified the dna of everything then quite frankly of course there could be upright walking wolves quite frankly of course there could be men who had been um genetically altered to be bigger stronger faster hairier all that stuff makes sense if you believe what's there if you don't believe what's there and you conflate it or you become deceived then okay well yeah you can sit there and say whatever you want um it just depends on what you believe and believing comes from faith faith comes from hearing in my case my faith in god and jesus christ comes from the encounters i've had with him inside the paranormal field so um, I know that Jesus Christ is real because when there were shadow men walking down the hallway in my house, um, 12 foot tall ceilings with a shadow to the ceiling with glowing red eyes, I prayed Psalms. I, I didn't know what to do. This is before I had really figured out I prayed the Psalms. I, I did the prayer to say, Michael, I did all kinds of stuff. And then finally, uh, something said, you know, you've done everything except for call on Jesus. And I said, you know, I should have did that at first. Uh, and like a voice of man, like, duh, really? Go down in the basement and call upon Jesus. Walk down in the basement, scared out of my mind. By the blood of Jesus Christ, be gone out of this place. And the whole thing went back to normal. And I said, okay, well, 
Uh, I guess I got my, my first lesson in how to deal with this stuff. And then boom, it just came again and again and again and again, different forms. And for me, at first, it was manifesting in people. I mean, and manifesting in like beings, like shadow beings and little, um, little small stuff that, you know, keys going missing, this happening, that happening. Then it manifested in physical things where my stomach was hurting and all kind of crazy stuff. And then it started coming and started manifesting through people where people were doing things to mine. And I had to learn how to deal with people who I know are under an influence of something. And it's just not them. It's, they're not themselves because now I can see it on them. When I talk to them, I can see and hear, okay, bro, what you're saying doesn't make sense. This behavior pattern doesn't make sense. And that's not really you. This is something else going on with you. And so um, anybody who's in this field, needs to be mindful of those things. Anybody who listens to this content needs to be mindful of those things. Uh, and they need to be mindful of what they come into agreement with. And if they don't understand that going on a live stream, commenting, you know, arguing with like, let's say your favorite YouTuber and another podcaster have an argument. And then those two going back and forth and you getting involved in it, you're you're coming into agreement with whatever their angle is or whatever their take or their stance is on it. You are in agreement with it. So therefore, you're in agreement with whatever spirit is at work, whether it be enmity, whether it be anger, whatever it be fear. You are fully in agreement with that. And so you're being drawn into agreement with things that are that have absolutely nothing to do with you. And anybody who's been with me for a long time, they know I've always said, you know, I handle my own beef. Don't speak for me. Don't run around saying nothing to nobody. I never said it because I had that understanding. Uh, I'm glad I did say it. When I was saying that, it wasn't because I had that understanding. I was saying it because if I'm at odds with a person and you start throwing your weight around, then it makes the situation really unpredictable for me because I'm, they're going to be reacting off what you're doing instead of what, off of what I'm doing. And I need, to, I need that person to be in a certain mindset, mind frame, so I can read what's going on with them and see what they're doing as opposed to these outside influences um, forcing them in a different direction. But looking back on it, I'm so glad I never did like try and charge and ramp people up to go over and attack someone. Um, because then I would have bring, been bringing them in agreement with whatever was operating in me, whether it was anger or fear or, or strife. You know, I don't want anybody to be doing that. It's not cool. Well, not to go too deep in the dark waters here, but that's kind of what you mentioned to me. On the phone when we spoke a couple of days ago was the fruits of the spirit. And uh, we were, there's, there's several, you know, there's spirits that we can call upon to counteract the spirits of the enemy, right? So you mentioned if we're, we're dealing with, you know, the spirit of anger, pray for the, the fruit of the spirit, which is peace and things of that nature. Um, so what I was, what I was saying is um, I started off with fear. And the scripture says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, but power, love, and a sound mind. And I was just explaining that fear is the spirit, because the Bible says it. For God did not give us a, a spirit of fear. And if you take the context in which that's written, it talks about the spirit of fear. Therefore, there is a spirit of power, there is a spirit of love, and there's a spirit of sound mind. And so... The way you combat fear is with those other spirits in the spirit realm, right? Um, and so if, when you're praying, you find yourself to be afraid. You, Lord, 
I'm, I'm afraid. First of all, you tell me not to be afraid of anything. I just want to tell you, listen, I've been brought into fear by whatever this is. I apologize because you're supposed to be my rock and my savior and my strength. But Lord, I'm, I'm afraid. Will you impart upon me the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind? And what ends up happening is um, that fear starts to subside. And the sound mind is one of the most important things about fear because fear comes along with anxiety and along with anger and then leads to depression. And at the end of depression, depression leads you to suicide. So fear is like the gateway drug in the spirit realm to, for something to kill you. Um, and the Bible says the devil came to do nothing but to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. Um, uh, Jesus called uh, Satan a murderer, a Lucifer a murderer, right? Um, so at the end of the day, when you really talk about spiritual warfare, the end goal is to kill you. Yeah, you know, and period, like kill you dead, like heart not beating anymore. And so it's very important that you understand what combats that. The power that you get is the power from um, from God, from Jesus Christ, because you know we are we are literally powerless ourselves against those forces. Every power, that, every ounce of power that we get is from Him. And then love is very very important because love allows you to truly truly not be afraid. Um, in my recent little tiff I had when I was doing my prayers, I said, well, Lord, um, this is not right, but I'm afraid that people are going to say this, 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 and the Holy Spirit told me as clear as day, do you love this person? Yes. Do you love the people that listen to you? Yes. Do you love that? Do you appreciate them? Yes. Then I need you to lean towards love. I need you to lean towards forgiveness and let me take care of the rest. And I said, okay, so I leaned on love and forgave the person and went on about my business. He said, you're going to take care of the rest? You're going to take care of the rest. I'm done. And um, have the greatest peace on the planet with any kind of strife. I'm not worried about anything. I'm doing, often doing what I need to do. And it's important that people reach that point to where they understand that um, God will give you what you need um, when you need it. And he'll give it to you at your request, especially if you have an understanding of what you need. And if you don't understand you can literally just say, Lord, give me what I need to survive this situation and help me out of this situation. He knows what you need. And if you kind of know what you need or if you think you know what you need, ask for that. Just say, hey, anything else I, I, I missed, hook me up with it. Help me out. <laughs> you, know what I'm you know, hook me up because I don't know everything. I'm a child. I don't know everything. I know a little, but I don't know everything. So hook me up with whatever else I'm missing. And that's how I deal with it. That's awesome. That's really good. I think more people need to hear that anymore, especially in this field and what you do and what we're trying to do. Just, I think people need to hear that. Lowell, do you have any, any questions here before we start wrapping stuff up? Kind of one off the wall. I just wanted to get your take on uh, like gray aliens or the whole, the whole UFO thing as a whole. I know it's completely out of, out of left field. <laughs> Um, no, it's not out of left field. I'll tell you, the people that I've talked to who've had great aliens in their house, um, and this one lady I talked to who had been abducted multiple times, and I really consider her my most credible alien UFO kind of uh, witness. She described the inside of a ship. She described all of this. The first time I talked to her, um, she was in extreme fear. She said she felt like she shouldn't talk to me about it because not only would they come back for her, but they would come for me. And I told her, I doubt seriously if that's going to work. And then um, over time, I got her more comfortable to start talking. 
And I said, have you ever called on the name Jesus when you were encountering it? And she said, no. I said, why? She said, because I've been so afraid. And I said, the next time you feel like something is coming into that room, because she explained the, the mannerisms in which how things started to happen when they would come in. Like she would, knew, she would know that they were coming prior to them even showing themselves. Like she had a feeling like she could feel it. Hmm. And I said, next time that happens, just a point of reference, call upon the name of Jesus and see what happens. I get a phone call at 3 a.m. Um, and she's frantic on the phone and she's like, it worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, just waking up. I used the name Jesus and it worked and they, they left and it was, and she's like, it worked. And so when I heard that from her and I really believe this woman, I mean, I, I there's the fear that she exuded to me was palpable. It wasn't like, um, you know, I, I'm pretending to be afraid. She was truly afraid. That fear was so palpable. I said, you know what? Um, it works. So, um, if his name rebukes those things, then they're under his authority. And so to me, it doesn't really even matter because I'm all about authority. And as far as it pertains to protection, as far as it pertains to protecting my family and, and my friends, it doesn't matter. They can be UFOs. They can be aliens. They can be coming out of the ground. They can be coming out of the sky. They can be predator type things that's walking around like, uh, like coming out of the water. If it's under Jesus's authority, I don't really care. You know what I'm saying? Like we can, people talk about it and um, they pontificate about it and, and, and turn it into, you know, a topic that is a point of discussion. But truthfully, when you look at it from an eyewitness standpoint, bro, the eyewitness only cares about their safety and not being afraid. So are aliens real? Pretty sure they are. Are they fallen angels? Probably, or something of, of the sort. Um, and can they be rebuked? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of my take on it. You know, um, the UFO disclosure that came out just recently that was that was an epic failure because they tried to disclose <laughs> UFOs doing at the be you know kind of at the beginning of the hyperinflation kicking in. Yeah. It was like, okay, we're going to tell everybody about UFOs because the gas price is damn near $7 <laughs> or $6. And we'll change it to UAPs so that everyone's confused. <laughs> right. And everybody was like, nah, bro, these, these gas prices is too damn high. I don't give a damn <laughs> about no alien. They don't pay for gas. And it just didn't work. And so that that's, to me, that's indicative of how serious it should be taken. It was, the disclosure was timed in conjunction with high gas prices. So it was all to be a distraction. Um. Mm and hyperinflation kicking in. So it was, an, it was an attempt to distract people from what was going on around them every day. And so therefore, if it was such a great threat, why was it used as a tool or as a weapon? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Good point. Wow. That, they just always interested me because it's the one, I don't know, whatever you want to call it in this field that actually has or has been seen to use like nuts and bolts vehicles. And it's just kind of odd to me i mean well and they're allegedly the only ones that can enter your room without permission i mean if people have issues you know where they they wake up and the aliens are in the room floating them out i mean black-eyed kids still have to ask permission to get into the house right right wow yeah that, that well that's be because once those black-eyed kids get in they never leave and think about it remember we talked about coming into agreement 
knock on your door. Can I come in? Can I come in? Let me in. Let me in. Okay, you could come in. They come in the house and disappear. You came mm-hmm. into agreement with it and you let it in your house. Bro, I mean, when I tell you, bro, it's so simple. Once you understand these principles and you go back and you listen to what people are doing and what people are saying, you'd be like, holy crap. That's exactly what happened. You agreed to let that thing in your house. Holy crap. This is what happened. You agreed to do something with that. For example, we go on we go on a ghost hunt or a ghost tour. And um, you go into a building, you turn on a little speaker, and you know, it's it's kind of scrolling through the staticky sounds, and they say, Well, is anybody here? Right? And you hear, yes. Um, show yourself. It doesn't show itself. And then somebody will say something like, well, you can touch me, touch me, you can hit me. They call it provoking, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, if there's something there that wants to hit you, you just came in agreement with it, and guess what? It knocks the hell out of you. Ooh. That's what happens, bro. It's, it's really simple spiritual principles that, really is. that people don't understand. And since they don't understand them, they be out here in these streets wilding out, making all kinds of mistakes. Yeah, I've never even thought of it that way. That's kind of... It's freaky when you understand what it is. Think about um, what's the guy on Ghost Adventures? There was Nick Gross. There was a kind of buff dude, Zach oh, Baggins. Zach Baggins. Right? Yeah. Zach, be wild. <laughs> Zach, just think about Zach straight up used to be wild. Yeah, I'm going to provoke it. If you want to punch me, you can punch me. If you want to possess me, you can possess me. Them things sitting there saying, wait, what? Did you? They're talking to each other. I said, bro, you heard what he said? Yeah, you sure he said that? I think he just said we could possess him. Oh, hell yeah. Let's all go jump in him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, man, with the guy with that haircut, I don't know if I'd want to possess him. <laughs> but think about it, bro. That's what it is. And that's why you have to be careful what you say. Or what you literally build an altar to. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's exactly what it boils down to. Oh, man. I remember when I was younger, bro, I had a fight with this dude. Um, this is when I was bodybuilding. Um, this guy said, I'm 226 pounds of all muscle. He's like one, 175. And he was uh, in this black fraternity called the Kappas. And so I guess he got real insecure. And one day he was like, I'm going to call you fat until you get fat. And so I'm sitting there listening to him. I'm sitting there with this real pretty chick. You know, we talking. I'm like, babe, what's wrong with him? She's like, he a hater. But every day I would see him, he'd be like, what up, fat behind? He, he didn't say behind. He said the A word. So the second day he says it, I'm sitting there saying, I said, this dude is literally cursing me. And he's trying to get me to agree with him that I'm going to be fat. And so um, I'm sitting on, I'll never forget, I'm sitting on the bed of a truck. You know, the, the tail bed mm-hmm. of a truck. He walking up the street. And I just wanted to make sure he was in range of my reach. And so I said, say, man, call him over here. Cause he go, I knew he was going to say, I said, call him over here. Cause I want him right in the range of my reach. And so he come over, talk to another guy. He look at me. And as he's walking by, he's right there in a the perfect range. He says, uh, and you, you right there, you go end up being a, a fat ass part of my language. Man, I lunge off that truck and bing, caught him dead on the jaw. Neck turns, wham, slumped him. He just laying there. Everybody said, man, why you hit him? I said, cause he's sitting here trying to curse me. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, no, 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 wake him up. And when they got him up, I said, now, the next time they come out your mouth, the same thing going to happen to you again. And he never said it again. But I understood, even it, it, in that small level, I understood that, no, 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 you're trying to speak a curse on me, telling me what I'm going to be. No, I'm not going to be that. This is what you're about to get. And I slumped him. 
I'm talking about Mike Tyson style slumped him. He was out snoring, shadow realm. <laughs> um, Went to go visit his people in the shadow realm. <laughs> I guess we live in such a culture <clears throat> that I don't even really think about that. Like the idea of cursing like that, you know, I mean, there's, there's a thing like bullying and stuff, but it's almost the same basic idea, but you grew up in like the, the hoodoo, I think you call it um, like that voodoo culture. And does that, and that's kind of something that obviously the culture you grew up in, and that's something that we never did. Well, you know, bullying is a rite of passage, right? So and bullying is truly a rite of passage. That's just a manly rite of passage. You know, somebody bullies you, and to the point to where you knock them out, right? Or you sure, fight yeah, yeah. the rite of passage. Um, but when people take specific words and speak specific words against you wanting a specific result, whether they know it or not, they're trying to curse you. And um, that's something that anybody listening needs to understand. Um, words are very, very powerful. The words that people speak against you are powerful, and the words you speak against yourself are powerful. Everybody's seen... Every man has dated a woman that was absolutely gorgeous, but in her own eyes, she wasn't gorgeous. You'd be like, hey, beautiful. She'd be like, I'm not that beautiful. Shut up. You are. You're gorgeous. No, I'm not. What is wrong with you? Look at the mirror. I don't think I'm that cute. Okay, so you, you're going to sit here and tell yourself you're not really cute. You're going to sit here and tell me that I'm crazy and I, I, what I'm looking at doesn't look good. It's, it's the talk that we have to ourselves. And in, in many instances, we curse ourselves with our own words. Mm. Um, so that's what I was talking about in that scenario. Now, when you start talking about the real hoodoo voodoo stuff in New Orleans, no, no, it gets way deeper than that. Oh, sure. Oh, it's, it's, no, it's a picture of you with a penis candle with a wick on top of it. And they lay your picture against that and they light the candle. And that's supposed to make sure that your penis won't get hard. Or it's a skull candle with um, a candle, like a wax skull with your photo on it and one of your, your possessions that's put there and they light it and it's to make you go crazy. No, that's, that's bro. It, it gets wicked down here when it comes I to that kind of stuff. It gets real wicked. I've seen, um, I've seen one where it was designed to get this guy to keep going to jail. It was a set of handcuffs. It was his, his high school ring. And I don't, I don't know what the hell that candle was, but um, it was in this, this chick's house. And I was like, what the hell is this? She's like, well, that's for my ex-boyfriend because I want him to keep going to jail. I'm like, so you expect me to like mess with you and you, 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 let me get this straight. You expect me to hang out with you while this is out in the open and you telling me that you're doing that to get him to go to jail. And she's like, yeah, what's wrong with that? That's between me and him. Nah, sister, I'm gonna holler at you later. Peace out. You're crazy. I'm done. I'm gone. Ain't nothing on the planet that good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you're not that cute, bro. I'm done. I'm done, shorty. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it gets real when it comes to those kind of things. Oh my goodness. Well, thank goodness for the, for the name of Jesus. I mean, for his authority and his authority through us. Yeah. Like thank the, you for his sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and him going to get the keys because if yeah. he didn't have them keys, boy, we have some problems. <laughs> you know what I'm we have some problems around here in these streets. I'm glad he is a key holder for real. Do you mind if we pray with you real quick, dark waters to end the episode? No, absolutely. You guys go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'll pray with you. All right. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to um, a friend and a fellow believer and a fellow brother. In your name, Lord Jesus, we just ask for protection over him and his family. We ask for your protection over us and our families. 